Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining. Happy you're here. Glad you're listening. Well, the economic situation in America seems to be getting worse, and so I thought maybe it might be an appropriate time to talk more about the economy, um, debt, um, the the way. Uh, why do we have these boom bust cycles? Um, what what causes that? And because uh, a lot of people don't know what causes that, and they think, oh, it's just a feature of the economy, and just every every several years, you know, we have a, a downturn in the economy, and that's not a normal feature of an economy and, and a lot of people don't realize that because it's just that's the way it's always been uh, but this is uh, this is created um, by the way our economic system works and I have talked a little bit about how our economic system works you know with the banking system and whatnot and this is a very crucial part of what causes uh, these these cycles that uh, that lead to you know, layoffs, recession, uh, things of this nature. And it, it's a very scary time for people because, um, you know, the, one of the most important things uh, to people is their job. And even though Democrats and Republicans, for that matter, are on TV all the time talking about, um, you know, giving you some sort of poor sob story about Americans don't have this and Americans don't have that. Well, if Americans don't have a job, uh, that's a real problem because all these other things that you have to pay for are a lot harder to pay for when you don't have a job. And so, um, you know, what they, what we need to, what the government needs to really focus on is just getting out of the way and and letting the economic system work without their interference. And of course, they just can't help themselves. You know, they're like kid in a candy store. You know, nagging at the mom for a candy bar or. Um, you know, something at the checkout stand, you know, um, I'm sure many of you have experienced that. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to use, uh, Ray Dalio's, um, how an economy works. It's online. You can find it Ray, Just a little background real quick on Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio is the, uh, founder of, uh, Bridgewater. Uh, I think it's called Bridgewater securities. And Bridgewater's a huge hedge fund. I mean, Ray Dalio, is a, he's a billionaire many, 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 many times over. And he's a smart guy, okay? Obviously, you got to be a smart guy to uh, become a billionaire in this economy. But, uh, you know, that comes with a big but, a big caveat. You know, the, the banking system and the financial system, if you, if you really know what you're doing, that's... Uh, that's probably one of the easier ways to become a billionaire. And of course, Ray Dalio knows how that works and knows how to get the most out of it. And so, um, but he's kind of on this crusade. He's been on this crusade now for a while where he writes these books and, and puts them on the internet for free and does these uh, uh, YouTube productions to try to tell people how the economy works. And really, he's out uh, almost like a public service announcement, out kind of warning people about the economic situation that the United States is confronted with. And so I want to use this, um, and, and, and you should go out and watch the whole thing. It's about 30 minutes in totality. 
But I'm going to zero in on a, on a, a, the first part of it that talks about um, productivity. You know, how does how do you how do you make more income in America? Well, the the key to making more income is to increase your productivity. And and then he talks about, but that's not that that in and of itself does not create uh, these boom bust cycles. What what happens is um, there's a there's a creation of credit. Okay. Uh, and, and credit essentially ends up being an expansion of the money supply because it allows you to spend more uh, today than than you actually earn. But then what happens is you have to spend less in the future to pay it back. Now, most of the time what happens is people just make more in the future. And so uh, making more in the future allows them, even though they have to pay it back, pay back the debt, they're paying it back uh, with money that uh, is easier for them to acquire. So we're, we're going to kind of focus in on that that part of his presentation. And I'm going to tie that to the economy and, and what 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 we see probably happening right now. It's, it's hard to know exactly when um, um, the, 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 these debt cycles, um, the, the, the kind of the backlash of these debt cycles begin. Uh, but boy, when it does, it's it's really going to hurt. It's going to be very painful for our society, and um, it's going to lead to a lot of uh, angst and a lot of discomfort for our fellow citizens. Over time, we learn, and that accumulated knowledge raises our living standards. We call this productivity growth. Those who are inventive and hardworking raise their productivity and their living standards faster than those who are complacent and lazy. So, you know, before any discussion, it's good to define a few things. And uh, productivity is, is in a very important um, um, part of what we need to define because productivity is the key to raising our standard of living. Um, as we become more productive, and there's several ways we do that. It's not just we learn. We, there's, we, we, it could be that we learn. You learn some new skill, and that makes you more productive. But it could be that you learn how to operate a machine that produces, you know, 50 times more than you can produce with your hands, and that learning uh, makes us more productive. So, but and there's a there's a couple other different ways that are that are you know that you can use to increase your productivity. But that's where standard of living comes from. It, it incre- it's an increase in productivity, not an increase in credit. Okay, uh, so when the Fed lowers rates to bring on credit expansion that that's that's false okay that's a that's a faulty way of uh, uh, it's a it's a it's a false economic growth okay it's not it's not real it's phony in the sense that we didn't earn it okay so that's the important thing to know about productivity it has to be earned there there are no shortcuts uh, in life um, the only way you can make more money is if you provide more value uh, to consumers that are purchasing your services or your products. And that, that value comes in the form of productivity. But that isn't necessarily true over the short run. Productivity matters most in the long run, but credit matters most in the short run. This is because productivity growth doesn't fluctuate much, so it's not a big driver of economic swings. Debt is, because it allows us to consume more than we produce when we acquire it, and it forces us to consume less than we produce when we have to pay it back. One of the big lies about our economic system is that consumption drives the economy. 
and this is um, this is not true um, in in a in a in a more meaningful sense. Um, consumption um, is you you can't consume without first producing. Uh, if everybody was just consuming and nobody was producing anything, there would be nothing to consume. So uh, it's it's not it's not uh, it, it's it's just where we make the measurement. We make the measurement of GDP on the consumption side, and that's that's why it's quote unquote the driver of the economy. But the GDP is not the economy, uh, in the same sense that the work that you do is not who you are. Um, so they're just they're related, but they're not uh, they're not one and the same. So what he what he's saying is that we can we can juice up the system by taking on debt to consume more than we produce, and this is true. But uh, like I alluded to earlier, that that debt has to be paid back, and it's paid back in the future. So that means. You have to consume less in the future in order to pay that debt back. And, of course, everybody knows this, right? You, when you buy a house, for example, you have a 30-year note. Um, you get to live in the house on day one, right? But you, have to, you, have, you, can't, you can't go to the movies as often. You can't, maybe you don't have as expensive a car. Maybe you don't take as many trips on vacation and things like that because now you have a house, okay? So you're consuming less. And uh, this, is, this, is what, uh, this is what he's talking about. Debt swings occur in two big cycles. One takes about five to eight years, and the other takes about 75 to 100 years. While most people feel the swings, they typically don't see them as cycles because they see them too up close, day by day, week by week. He's talking about two different timescales that these debt cycles occur. Now, there's probably even more than two, but I guess for all intents and purposes, he's saying there's, you know, there's kind of a short cycle and there's a long cycle, but there's probably even some cycles in between, and then there's some really long cycles uh, that are probably driven uh, by government and government borrowing and um, credit expansion due to governments. So just know that this is super complicated, and there's and there's it's really difficult to know when these happen, but I think most people can feel it, right? They, they start looking at the, the national debt, or certainly you feel it in your own home if you take on too many debts, and all of a sudden you're, all you're doing is making payments on things, and you can't afford to you know, go to the grocery store or something like that. So this is, a, this is something intuitively we understand, um, but what you what you kind of need to understand about the debt cycle is that just think of living really well initially, you know, because you can buy a bunch of stuff. But then you have to at some point in the future you have to live at a lower standard in order to pay the money back. And if you think about this happening on a very large scale, it it happen it happens to af- affect the economy um, and and entire industries and and things like that. Increased productivity is the only way for growth. Since my spending is another person's income, the economy grows every time I or anyone else is more productive. Now, he makes a pretty bold statement here, and of course you don't hear this on CNBC, but he says, look, the only way to grow is to increase productivity. But this is kind of where I want to point out uh, part of the phony measurements and, and all this stuff that we see from the government all the time. 
when you expand credit and GDP increases, but productivity doesn't increase, that's not real growth. That's not real growth in the economy. And so this is why many people struggle. This is why people, they see a bunch of things going up in price, but maybe they don't see their income going up. It's because their productivity hasn't really increased, but the, the amount of credit expansion has increased, and it's increased consumption somewhere in the economy, maybe not in your household, but that increase in consumption has, has impacted you personally, even though your productivity hasn't gone up. So this is kind of the, the unfair mechanism that's kind of working in the background and, and hard, really, really hard for people to, um, to understand and to navigate. You know, they really don't know what to do about this. But not talking about growth in terms of productivity is not really helpful uh, in understanding the economy. And so this is what I mean by phony. I mean, if all you do is talk about GDP, well, you're not really, you're not really telling people what's going on in the economy. Um, what, you, what they need to be telling us about is productivity, uh, how, that's, how that's being impacted by what's going on in the economy. And this is kind of what I mean by phony. It's a little bit phony. Um, The government likes to measure GDP because the government can spend money on defense and things that they want to spend money on, and it causes an increase in GDP, and they get to claim that the economy's doing well. But you could very well be living in the economy and not feel this, not not feel... uh, I mean, we could have 5% GDP growth or 10% GDP growth, and you might be working in a sector of the economy where you feel like, golly, I'm going backwards. And this is where a lot of people are today. And uh, the reason uh, they're there, I mean, we're going to talk about the reason they're there, but um, this is, it's an important, it's an important uh, distinction to make between the economy and, and maybe how you're doing. And, and that missing link, if you will, is productivity. Think of borrowing as simply a way of pulling spending forward. In order to buy something you can't afford, you need to spend more than you make. To do this, you essentially need to borrow from your future self. In doing so, you create a time in the future that you need to spend less than you make in order to pay it back. It very quickly resembles a cycle. Basically, any time you borrow, you create a cycle. This is as true for an individual as it is for the economy. This is why understanding credit is so important because it sets into motion a mechanical, predictable series of events that will happen in the future. He makes this sound like, you know, real high finance or whatever, but people know that you can't borrow too much or you end up basically just making payments on things and you don't really uh, have any free cash flow to do anything else. And so, um, but he's right. I mean, you, when you borrow, you're, you're, you're taking some of the money that you're going to make in the future and you're pulling it forward to buy something like a house or a car or whatever. And so, but the the big, most people know how to manage this for themselves, right? And, or the banking system just won't loan you the money. If your income, what they do is they, that's one of the functions of your credit score, right? They look one of the things your credit score does is it is it it keeps track of how much you have uh, that you're paying on, how much you borrow, how much credit do you have access to, 
And when your credit score goes down, it makes it harder to borrow money. The reason is, is because the banking system knows that you're going to struggle to pay it back. And of course, their goal is to get paid back. They don't want to loan money unless they can get paid back. So, you know, the, the point is, though, in talking about all this credit is it's a huge, huge factor in our economic system. And it leads people and companies to take on projects or do things that they might not otherwise do because of access to the credit. So the, the, the reason that's uh, an important thing to mention is because some of those things may marginally not be a good idea. Okay, so you might go open up some new franchise thing, okay, uh, because you have easy access to money. But maybe, maybe the consumer market is not really ready for that particular venture. And so you, uh, I don't know, maybe you open up 10 of them, okay, because you can, because you have access to credit. But then you, you can't get enough business in the door to support it. And so if you, if you think about replicating this over and over and over again in the economy, you can begin to see how eventually a bunch of bad deals can can cascade and escalate into uh, you know some sort of financial calamity because um, once once you have a bunch of these deals go bad, then you get a you know a recession or a depression of some type, and of course you know people work in these companies right so then there's layoffs happen and there's just a chain of events that happen as a result of an expansion of credit that that is uh, overheated and and um, and uh, a little bit too uh, a little bit too much right or maybe way too much credit the reality is that most of what people call money is actually credit the total amount of credit in the united states is about 50 trillion dollars and the total amount of money is only about three trillion dollars so the three trillion dollars is like what's in people's checking accounts savings accounts things like that and the 50 trillion dollars is is debt okay now this this is a couple of years old this uh, ray dalio piece uh, these numbers are uh, especially the debt side are even much larger today than they are they were just just a few years ago i mean we had uh, with covid we had tremendous borrowing from the government and so uh, the the amount of credit in the economy is much higher uh, it's it's well north of uh, 65 trillion or so so you know the the question becomes well how do you pay off 65 trillion with only 3 trillion dollars you know in the banking system and and the reality is some of this is not going to get paid and uh, as as defaults start to happen uh, what happens is essentially that stream of payments that would be going into the banking system um, for payments on all that $50 trillion, that, that starts to dry up, and then that causes a recession. And, and businesses start to uh, uh, default on the loans and things like that. And, and what happens is essentially money or credit disappears from the economy. And just think of it like um, a good way to think about it is like, let's say you let's say you had so you loaned somebody some money. Well, you know, obviously, if they default on the loan, not only are you not going to get your principal back, but whatever stream of payments that you were expecting, 
that's not going to come either. So obviously you're going to have to make some adjustments in your business to handle that. And that's, that's one of the problems that's created when, when you had this uh, collapse of credit. As a result, an economy with credit has more spending and allows incomes to rise faster than productivity over the short run, but not over the long run. So what does it mean that productivity rises over the short run, but not over the long run? What does that actually mean? Well, that, that could mean, for example, that you could be in a job that, that uh, maybe, maybe you personally feel like you are making the right amount of money, okay? But maybe your employer, when, when they start looking at the business and some of these defaults start happening or the recession starts happening, starts impacting their business, they might look at your job on the margin and they might say, golly, th- we're, paying, we're paying this person $140,000 a year. Uh, we can't afford to pay $140,000 a year for this particular role. So they might, they might lay you off, okay? And later they might fill that job, but maybe they fill that job at $85,000 because uh, maybe they can keep that job open at $85,000, but they can't keep it open at $140,000. Now, so meanwhile, you're in the economy and you're trying to be reemployed. You know, you're trying to go back to where you were, right, at the $140,000. And that's why, you know, unemployment can stretch out for long periods of time because. Uh, people are looking at these jobs and, and the incomes that it takes to fill these jobs at the margin. They're looking at they're they're reevaluating their businesses and they're trying to decide okay which which of these jobs pr- produces the most value for the business. And if you could just imagine this happening all throughout the economy, this it takes a while to work all this out. And that's why uh, that's why these cycles, if they're really big cycles. It could you could get something like the Great Depression, whereas if you have say a smaller cycle, especially if the government can print a bunch of money and throw money at it, it can it can be a shorter cycle. So, um, I think what Ray Dalio's point is is that we're coming up onto a very very large cycle, and he talks about a hundred seventy five to a hundred years. It might even be bigger than that, but. One of the reasons I think it's it probably is in that hundred year range or so, is because that's how long ago the Federal Reserve was created, and the fact is the Federal Reserve, the Fed, is the is the entity in the United States, in fact in the world, that creates most of the credit. Uh, dollar denominated debt around the world is in excess of a hundred trillion dollars. So, uh, in dollar, what we call dollar denominated debt. So. You know the Federal Reserve is is has created a huge cycle, a huge cycle, and it could be that we're right upon um, the the very precipice of this cycle. And so I wanted to, and I'll probably make another um, podcast on this subject too, and and we'll bring in a little bit of commentary from Peter Schiff because. As some of you may know Peter Schiff, but he's been kind of a doomsdayer for a while. But, you know, again, in defense of Peter Schiff, it's very difficult to predict the timing of these things because there's so many, there's so many smaller degree trends happening at the same time the larger degree trends are happening. And at some point, they, there's, a conf, there's a confluence where all these trends come together at the same time and create just a huge 
depression. And one of the reasons it might be happening now is the bond market. Uh, most of you have probably been listening uh, to commentary around interest rates rising. And the interest rates uh, are rising because people that loan money are looking at the amount of debt that people have, and they're saying to themselves, these are not good credit risks uh, going forward. And so they're, right, they're raising the interest rates uh, for that borrowing. And at the, at the core of this is the, is the federal government, the United States federal government, because the federal government, again, borrows more money than anybody, and people are looking at the amount of money that uh, the federal government has on loan. It's in excess of $30 trillion now. And uh, they're looking at the way the government is spending money very foolishly. And the bond market is telling the government, hey, if you want to borrow money from us, you're going to have to pay more interest. And so these interest rates that the government pays, uh, they, they always pay the lowest rates. But those rates they they replicate they ripple throughout the the economy uh, into mortgage rates uh, rates for purchasing cars and all kinds of things so um, that that could be what we're seeing here with these rising interest rates I would keep a very very close eye on the ten year treasury yield uh, and uh, you know maybe toward the end if I have some time I'll I'll talk about what a bond is and how you how you, you know, exactly what that mechanism is and how it, how, it, uh, how it works. Credit isn't necessarily something bad that just causes cycles. It's bad when it finances overconsumption that can't be paid back. However, it's good when it efficiently allocates resources and produces income so you can pay back the debt. Okay, so I've spoken about this before, and uh, Ray Dalio's right. I mean, credit is not bad, right? I mean, if, you, if you're young and in your prime and you get married and, and you and your wife want to have a, a house and raise children in that house and you're willing to take on some debt today in order to uh, create that future in the present, that's, that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but what I want to do is talk about it in terms of how rich people get rich. And I've talked about this before, but when rich people... And, of course, the, the, the question to begin with is how do you become rich? Well, the first thing you have to do to become rich is you have to save a lot of money. Uh, you have to live like Warren Buffett lived. I mean, look at, look at the guy. He, he, even today, he's worth billions of dollars, and he lives in a very modest house. He didn't spend a lot of money. He saved almost everything he made for years and years and years. And then one day he bought something. But the key is he bought something that made money. That's how rich people get rich. When they buy things, they don't buy things that lose money or they don't buy things that depreciate in value like cars or clothing or going out to restaurants. Uh, sure, they do that, but they do that after they get rich. Uh, before they get rich, they live like paupers and they save all their money and then they look for opportunities. And um, in Warren Buffett's case, he bought a company called Berkshire Hathaway, which was I believe it was like in the garment business or something. I don't know. But he, he used that company, that holding company, to acquire other companies um, like Geico. And I mean, I, I don't know all his companies, but they, they're all, uh, a lot of them are insurance companies and, and things like that. And those companies make money. And so 
when he buys something, he buys something that makes money. Now, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up in the in the context of Ray Dalio's talk is because Ray Dalio is saying, "Look, it's not it's not bad to take on debt, you know, to create credit and and buy stuff." Um, but any any he talks about it in the thing. If you go listen to it, he goes, but if you buy, you know, a big screen TV and a case of beer every night, you know, and you're borrowing money to do that, that's probably not a good use of credit as opposed to buying, you know, a tractor. Let's say you have own a farm and you buy a tractor and a plow and it increases the productivity of your land. And so you, 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 you are able to make money back and then some, right? You're able to, you're able to make a lot of money back and pay that debt off quickly and uh, and be very very productive and of course this is what rich people do they buy they buy businesses and the more businesses they buy the more assets they own the more money they can borrow against those assets they buy more businesses that might that make even more money and this is what's accelerating the disparity between the haves and the have-nots in America the vast majority of Americans don't spend money that way. They spend money, they consume. They spend money on trash, on junk, stuff that's not worth anything. Uh, that if you had a garage sale, let's say you spend $100,000 on a bunch of junk, you had a garage sale, maybe you can get you know five for it. Well, that's not what rich people do. And so this is, this is a big driver of the the uh, the difference between the haves and the have-nots, and people like Bernie Sanders don't have a clue as to why the wealth, the rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. The poor get poorer because the government constantly steals from our productivity, and the rich get richer because they can leverage the banking system to buy assets that make money. It's really just that simple. All right, I want to switch gears to the 10-year treasury because this is a very important, uh, I mentioned earlier, this is a very important indicator in our in our market. It gives you um, an indication uh, as, as to the financial stress that's going on in our, in our, in our um, economy. So I, I was recommending that you watch the 10-year treasury yield very closely. So you'll hear a comment, something like, uh, bonds are down today. Okay. So what does that mean? When bonds go down, that means they're not being sold as aggressively or they're not being purchased. Let's put it that way. They're not being purchased as aggressively as they're being offered in the marketplace. And so the price goes down. When the price goes down, the yield goes up. Now this is very intuitive. If you think about it, let's say you have a car and you want to sell the car right? So you, you're selling the car for $5,000. Well, nobody, nobody's, you know, the phone's not ringing. Nobody's wanting to buy the car. So you lower the car to $4,500. And maybe a few calls come in, but you still can't sell the car. So you lower it to $4,000. This is the way the bond market works too. Um, these, securities are, these securities are sold on the open market. Uh, investors all over the world uh, uh, go into these, what the Fed calls open market operations, it's like a closed market, okay? So it's not it's not a market that you and I can participate in. Um, only quote unquote bond dealers um, can can participate in this market, and it's essentially banks, okay? Banks that handle securities and things like that. So uh, when when these banks though they don't they don't have a lot of demand for these these uh, the ten year treasury or other securities like that, 
they're not buying as, as aggressively. And so the prices of those bonds go down. Now, when the price goes down, the yield or the interest rate that the owner of the bond would have goes up. And this is designed to uh, entice the owner to come in and buy. Okay, so if nobody's buying at some price, well, then the price goes down, but the yield goes up. And so this is uh, when, I, when I talk about the 10-year treasury yield increasing, we're talking about a percentage. Okay, so you'll hear some stuff like uh, the 10-year yield hit 2.8% today. What that means is people are not buying bonds. In fact, they might even, they, they could be actually selling bonds um, pretty aggressively. So one of the concerns in the bond market is as, as people feel uncomfortable about buying more and more securities, some of those people will sell. And the, 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 the difficulty is the Fed, the Fed has been a participant in this market. So if, if, um, if, if nobody's buying the bonds, what happens is the Fed goes into the market, kind of on the backside, and they buy the bonds. They print up U.S. dollars and they buy the bonds. This is called quantitative easing. But we're getting to a place where quantitative easing needs to stop because of inflation. And so you're going to have a situation where the Fed is not coming into the market and buying these bonds. So not only will there be less buying from the Fed and potentially less buying from the the bond dealers out there, the banks, you could have some people coming into the market and actually selling bonds. So the Fed, a huge buyer goes away. A bunch of other buyers in these bank dealers, they, they go away. Their, their, their appetite for treasuries is not that high. And, and sellers come in, in in a large way and yields uh, go up very, very rapidly. A lot of times when this happens, this is a very fragile kind of thing about the financial assets uh, in our market. And when this, when this gets going, this could really, really get going. And the Fed is still at, you know, one half of 1% on the overnight lending rate. So they're not anywhere close to fighting inflation. In fact, they're still creating inflation by participating uh, in the market by buying bonds. So we've we got a real problem here. And it's, it's, it's really like all the other problems we have the core at the core of the problem is the government okay we're spending too much money as a government we're spending money we don't have the treasury is asking the fed to to go sell bonds okay well the problem up till now is the the fed itself has been buying those bonds which is crazy okay that's like our own government buying our own debt which is, what's the point of that? That would be like you selling something to yourself. I mean, what's the point of that? That doesn't make any sense. But this is kind of the system we have, and it's this, this uh, sleight of hand. You know, if, if, as long as we have two different entities, we have the, the Treasury and the Fed, we can make it look legitimate. But the re- reality is the Treasury and the Fed are working together. And so it'd be like, okay, you're married, okay, and you say to your wife, uh, okay, honey, you sell me the car, and then you write a check to your wife to buy the car. I mean, <laughs> and you have a joint checking account. I mean, obviously, this makes no sense. But this is what we're doing, and um, because the, the amount of debt that exists in the, in not just in the U.S. economy, but 
in the global economy, the, the global U.S. De- denominated uh, dollar debt is is in excess of a hundred and something trillion dollars. So um, the the appetite for more debt is starting to wane, and the ten year Treasury is the most important Treasury uh, percentage rate in the market. But remember, borrowing creates cycles, and if the cycle goes up, it eventually needs to come down. 